Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamline, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. We have a jam-packed show for you tonight. We're going to have a very interesting and provocative first half, as we always do. And then, speaking of provocative, we're going to be joined by a spokesperson for Project Veritas in the second half. So that should be equally, if not even more interesting, if that's possible. So we are starting tonight with the uh, the prospect of opening our economy back up, which is wonderful. We've been saying that for almost a year. We thought we were opening, then we weren't. We thought we were opening, then we weren't. Now we're pretty confident that we are. And that is wonderful news for our children. Our kids are going to be able to go back to school, see their friends, participate in sports and all of the events that makes them kids and they, they get to enjoy that experience. But our young ones are also going to college. They may not have had the type of high school graduation that their siblings, older or younger, may have enjoyed and may enjoy in the future, but they are going back to campuses that may have one requirement that nobody ever thought in their lifetimes we would actually see, vaccines. Now, I don't mean the kind of vaccines, the MMR vaccines we had when we went to grade school, measles, mumps, and rubella. We're talking about the experimental use authorization vaccine for COVID. This has a lot of parents talking because let's face it, education is expensive, but health is priceless. Yet how can we accomplish both on college campuses? There are some college campuses that are making it very clear that even though they understand that this is not MMR, tried and true, effective, tested over the years, they understand that th these vaccines are emergency use authorized only. They are still going to requirement of. So we've talked in the past about no shoes, no shirt, no service. We've talked about no shot, no salary. This is no shot, no syllabus. Very harsh rules on some college campuses about who will or won't be able to attend. Now, Larry, I know you have grandkids, and while they're not yet going quite into college, I know you've been following education because this is a very serious subject for our precious young ones. What do you think about this vaccinated only college campuses? Not all campuses, many campuses are not doing this, but some are. It's very worrisome, Wendy. My daughter is applying for uh, a graduate degree at online some of them require going to classes and others don't and that they would uh, slip in that requirement that uh, besides having a really good gpa and being a, a really go-getter type person you also have to be vaccinated so i think it's it's very worrisome and of course if that happens in that realm it's going to be happening on the airlines on the cruise ships and it's very worrisome that we're going to divide uh, our country into the vaccinated and the non-vaccinated. That's the potential I see. 
Well, here's what's interesting about that, Larry. There are different rules in employment, in employment, for example, than there are uh, educationally. So, you know, we always say, you know, if you're going to school, if you are one of those college campuses that are requiring it, I mean, they're basically telling the prospective students either roll up your sleeve or roll up your plans for attending this university. And some of them have been very harsh and saying, look, there are other options for you. Um, but here's a question, Larry, and this is something that has uh, really been state by state for many years. Now, in the workforce, you have exemptions, you have religious exemptions, and you have medical exemptions. And in schools, you have both in 45 states, but you don't have, for example, a religious exemption, a personal use exemption in California. Now, do you know when that went away? Let's say it's a little bit of a vaccine trivia. No, I don't. Do you remember the Disneyland measles outbreak in 2014? I remember. Well, yes. that actually led to the end of these exemptions as far as our personal use exemptions. In other words, you know, it used to be that if you had some philosophical objection, that would be good enough in California. Not anymore as of 2015 because it really stemmed from that uh, from that. Um, outbreak in. And of course, most of us have been vaccinated against measles. It didn't apply to us. But it's just interesting the way some of these laws change and what the impetus is. So over the years, we have seen this personal, we'll just call it, you know, a personal use exemption, because that's really what it was. It didn't have to be religion. It could just be um, philosophical. But they still have that in many states. So this decision whether or not to be vaccinated is really something that is a personal decision that you make with your family and with your doctor. But Larry, there are other issues as well, are there not, regarding requiring vaccination? I mean, it really just isn't vaccination, it's vaccine plus. Because even if you have been vaccinated, that doesn't mean you don't have to wear a mask. You still have to wear a mask, you still have to socially distance, and they still have some of the same precautions that we had last year. It's, there are so many aspects to this, Wendy. Just imagine, people pouring across our southern border. They say that there were 50 families being led into the United States. I mean, after they've been recognized, you know, they're here without documentation, but they still allow them to go into the interior of the U.S. Now they're up to 400 families, and that's just a, a small portion of it. So what about those potential disease vectors? I mean, I love the people, but if you haven't been tested and you're coming from a foreign country and you're just pouring across the, the border... That's worrisome. And I'll, I'll tell you something else, Wendy. This might be worth reading Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. You know, that part in the Bible that describes the mark of the beast. I mean, are we getting to a point where they're going to put a microchip under us and say, you're not going to go to the supermarket and buy food unless you have this chip? Uh, is this a new form of segregation or discrimination that's coming upon us? We're adults. Usually they've never required adults to be vaccinated, especially when they say the recovery rate of this disease is 99.7% of those who get it recover. So what is this push? Well, it's interesting, Larry, because um, there really is a school of thought that we may actually be going back the other way because herd immunity can be achieved with a certain number of people. So they say get vaccinated. And, you know, talking about the, the kids going back to school, if herd immunity is achieved in a, in a particular community or even in a larger community, why would that not be achieved on a college campus? Yes. So you just have to ask yourselves and many people are, are you know, just philosophically, personally and 
um, regardless of whether or not they want to get the vaccine, it's often just becoming an academic question, no pun intended. If you have enough students on a campus that are vaccinated, for example, because many students have no problem getting vaccinated, uh, if there are a few who are not, for whatever reason, maybe they just didn't get around to it, wouldn't the herd immunity protection, all the different things that we've been hearing, the pros of vaccination, wouldn't that then foreclose the the possibility of anybody being refused entry because they haven't been vaccinated? Or I mean, why wouldn't everybody that has been vaccinated be protected? That's the question. That That is the big question. And Dr. Fauci is on so many sides of the issue. And this is becoming so politicized. And that's the worrisome thing. I wish if there was a disease, we all work together. Let's figure this thing out. What works? What doesn't work? And what do we need to do? And let's fine tune it so we don't lock down everybody. And what about that phrase, my body, my choice? That seems to have faded away. I guess this may not be our choice to get vaccinated. Yeah, well, you know, everybody can talk with their doctor and their family about their options. It's a very personal decision. We don't pass judgment. But you know what? Knowledge is power. And information is a great thing. If there are people that have underlying conditions where they think it would be dangerous, um, that's definitely something to talk with a doctor about. You know, Larry, um, as we think through some, you know, you talked about might be politicized. As we talk about politics, I mean, there are a lot of political decisions being made nowadays and a lot of uh, questions being raised uh, in Congress, are there not, about how politicized we have become as a country? I think so. And maybe one of the focus points now of that, Wendy, is this so-called court packing idea. Now, Joe Biden announced on Friday, April 9th, that he's going to put together a presidential committee and he is going to give them 180 days. That's basically, I think, half a year uh, to come up with a report. And what he wants them to look at is the possibility of expanding the number of justices on the U.S. Supreme Court and also implementing term limits. So. On April 15th, that's just last Thursday, here we are at Saturday, uh, just last Thursday, Jerry Nadler, he's the current uh, chair of the Judiciary Committee in the House of Representatives, and he unveiled something that's called the Judiciary Act of 2021, and in that, he's pushing for adding four more Supreme Court justices to the court. Uh, to bring it up to 13, he says, well, we have 13 circuits, you know, circuits court of, uh, Circuit Court of Appeals in the United States. So we probably ought to have 13 uh, Supreme Court justices. But why do that? So in my opinion, this is to consolidate power of the Democrats. They, they got the election. They control the House. They control the Senate. They control the executive branch. And now they're going after the uh, the uh, judicial ban- branch. And we have had nine justices on the Supreme Court since uh, 1869, 1869. Now, the thing is, Wendy, in the Constitution, I'll say this really fast, there is no limit or there's no number specified in the Constitution under the Article 3. And it's, in fact, it's only in Article 1 where they even talk about a chief justice. And that's it. Well, you know what, Larry, you know, Nancy Pelosi said it's not it's a non-starter. She has no intention of bringing it to the floor. So you wonder why we're even talking about it. And there's to, regarding a, a same, we've, it's been a century we've been at nine. I mean, why raise it to lucky number 13 now? President Biden himself, he was against it. Everybody's been against it. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was against it. You have to wonder why we're talking about it now. And, you know, you and I follow constitutional law 
so much more closely than most people. And you and I both know that most decisions that the Supreme Court makes are uh, unanimous. They make a lot of unanimous decisions or they make a lot of decisions that are not controversial. The issues are not provocative. You know, so whether or not that we talk court packing, why? Uh, because there are so few decisions that will be impacted, or is it a matter of intimidation, like they say? There just doesn't seem to be a good reason to change. And I, I'm going to end by saying, believe it or not, that seems to be a bipartisan belief, if you can believe that. So sure, they can appoint all the commissions they want to study it. It's going nowhere. Let's see if that prediction pans out. So we're going to take a short commercial break, but please don't touch that dial. We are going to return and introduce you to a spokesperson from Project Veritas who is going to give you some fascinating information. Stick with us. You're with Today with Dr. Wendy. We'll be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. You've probably seen their breaking investigations on national news. Project Veritas is America's tip of the spear dedicated to creating an army of guerrilla journalists. Larry, we have a very interesting guest tonight. Who do we have on the line? Right, Wendy. Uh, just a little bit about Project Veritas. It's a registered 501c3 organization whose mission is to investigate, expose corruption, dishonesty, self-dealing, waste, fraud, and other misconduct in both public and private institutions in order to achieve a more ethical and transparent society. Project Veritas journalists often take high risks to work undercover on their own or with idealistic insiders to bring to the American people the corrupt private uh, truths hidden behind the walls of their institution. Nick Jeebus is our guest tonight. He's the spokesperson for Project Veritas, and we're fortunate to have him on the program. Welcome to the program, Nick. Hi, thank you for having me. Nick, we are very excited to talk to you tonight, and we all we almost couldn't figure out where to start because you have done so many different things. Um, one of the most interesting that I thought is that <laughs> you have been a movie critic. So everything else that you do in here, I don't know where you find the time to watch movies, but I just think that is very endearing. Um, but it also leads me to my real initial question when reading through your resume and all the places you've worked, how did Project Veritas get started? It got started uh, back in 2009. Of course, James O'Keefe, uh, for the, those of your listeners that may not be familiar with me at the scene when he went undercover uh, against an organization known as ACORN, and he posed as a pimp uh, with his another journalist, Hannah Giles, at the time, who was posing as a prostitute. And they got a lot of people working for ACORN uh, in hot water for some of the things they said and uh, trying to help them cheat on their taxes and traffic and prostitution. ACORN was later defunded. And then a year or two later, James began to build Project Veritas, this James O'Keefe, into what it is today. And it's been going since then and uh, trying to work to uncover fraud and waste and abuse anywhere we see it and anywhere people bring us information about it. Hey, Nick, I understand that Project Veritas just broke a huge story about CNN this week where CNN director Charlie Chester revealed how the news network practices manipulation to 
as they say, changed the world. Can you tell us a little bit more about what was discovered at CNN? Sure. Uh, this man you mentioned, Charlie Chester, he was a technical director. And at first there was chatter on the Internet to try to downplay that role at CNN, but it was more of a it was more troubling in these videos that we have of undercover video of him speaking that he nonchalantly admits that everyone at the network sort of knows it, that it's propaganda and that it's bent, you know, hell bent on manipulation. You know, Nick, one of the things that occurs to me as we listen to a variety of reports coming from a, a lot of different networks, frankly, that there are a, a differences of opinion, shall we say, um, on almost everything from politics to policy to social issues to religious issues you know there there just seem to be such a mix of personalities at these news networks how do you navigate uh because everybody's in pursuit of the truth how do you navigate how to actually get the breaking stories to the people that need to hear them we keep a radar open for the truth it's not very difficult that there's a disease of indifference running through the media in particular and the world at large and i think that's the problem it's not very difficult to do what Veritas does. It, it can take a toll, and yes, it does take doing and thought and, and you know prep. And but it's, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're simply doing what other news outlets tell you that they're doing, except we're keeping our word and actually trying to deliver the truth. While it seems other outlets are in it for money or for power or for control. Yeah, Nick. Uh- this, going back to CNN's story just for a second, Charlie Chester said that they've been doing things like, I think he took credit that they were partially responsible for getting uh, President Trump out of office. Also, there's been some recent uh, flare-up of anti-Asian crimes committed by black people, and they're playing that down because they didn't want that to go against the BLM movement narrative. Uh, and then they are actually, actually brag about that they're... Uh, trying to increase fears about COVID because that drives ratings. So because of that, I understand that Twitter has actually banned and maybe banned permanently uh, your founder, James O'Keefe. Is that true? Well, we don't want to conflate the two issues. We're still working to discover what this reasoning is. I mean, when they gave us the reason, it was actually for operating false accounts, which James O'Keefe has never done. And it was a long-winded, very complicated, if you will, hard to read for a layperson. I'm not a lawyer, and even I read it, even having been a reporter, it struck me as very dense and broad. And I think that was the intention, but I can only speculate. Uh, I'll let the American people decide. You look at the timing. We released three bombshell stories uh, with a news agency that Twitter is appreciative of and likes and uses and points to. And, you know, finally, James gets his account pulled. So I'll let the people be judge and ask the questions you're asking, because if it's only you and I asking the question, nothing will change. So I hope others will look to this and ask the question themselves and provide their own answer. You know, Nick, one of the things that really strikes me about you and the work you do is that it sounds dangerous. Some of the uh, places you go, some of the stories you follow, the issues you delve into, you know, I... I don't know how you do it. Have you ever been, you know, sort of second guessing a, a particular venture into some aspect of journalism or some story or lead that you're chasing down because you seriously worried about your own personal safety? I don't think you can. I don't think you can stop to think about it when you've been where we've been. And we are a motley crew, but we are also united by the feeling that we just want the truth. We can't live in a world where 
falsities are accepted as facts and everyone just laughs them off and says, oh, well, that's just the way it is. No, you need a transparent and open world to function. You need to give people options because, as I've said on many interviews in the last three days, people make very weighted choices when they watch the news. It's that content, even in film, that is pushed, that people take and use as a reference to make decisions. So, no, we, we try to lose our fear to try to help get the truth to the people because it is that important. And Nick, this is kind of a philosophical question, but in your opinion, how did our news organizations, the ones that we rely on, get so corrupt? And it, can we save it? And how do we save it? Well, I'll take that one at a time. The corruption question first. I like to tell people when they ask me a question like that, that people believe in New York to be the Hollywood of the East Coast. That's not true. Washington, D.C. is. And I say that because they, all, they too, wear makeup and, and read from scripts and teleprompters. The news is based in mostly Washington, D.C., and New York has its flavor of that as well. I believe that through the Internet, a lot of people found they could monetize and use their position for power and become famous. And media is not about hobnobbing with famous people and actors and, and being cool. It's about finding out the truth. So my honest opinion, uh, people sold out, and they sold out the public because we're supposed to be there protecting the public. And as far as how we fix it, more people step up and come to places like Project Veritas, and furthermore, start your own, because we cannot win this battle alone. We need people that believe, as we believe, that there are certain things that are sacred, the First Amendment being among them. And I hope and pray every night that people listen to these interviews and it sparks something inside of them, because without that, what are we doing here? Yeah, Nick, how do these um, stories get your attention? In other words, how do some of these leads or, or allegations or whatever we want to call them, how do they come to you, land on your desk to begin with? I obviously can't go into heavy detail just by the nature of our operation, but what I can share with you is that we have people everywhere. We have people with consciences that you would never have imagined uh, in a million years at places that you'd never think an employee would even have the courage to come to us, but they do just because they're not on camera at the, this very moment or not speaking outside the shadows at this second does not negate their existence. So how do we get these stories? It's when the conscience of those people finally reaches max capacity and they say, I have knowledge, I have guilty knowledge that people need to know this is going to affect the world. Or we have undercover journalists that in a variety of places, maybe we get tips from people, they send uh, tips to a email address, veritastips at protonmail.com. Some people go through the main site, projectveritas.com. They drop a tip in our box, and we take it from there. But it's a, it's a team effort. It's a combination. We can't exist without the public. We could try on our end, own, but it wouldn't work. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. We're at the end, almost at the end of the show, but since you've been a, a movie critic, I have to ask you what your favorite movie is. I've been dying to uh, That's ask. a great question. <laughs> I think it's The Shawshank Redemption because fear can hold you prisoner, but hope can set you free. Oh, wow. isn't that interesting? That's perfect on, on answer. A, on a variety I've of levels. I've watched that movie many a you... time during many a dark hour, and it has never ceased to pump me up and, and give me faith on my mission. If somebody oh, wanted to get yeah. trained, Nick, and how to do this, is there a training course? Or are you to just get your little secret camera? We've got 10 seconds, Larry. Okay, Let's sorry. see if Nick can answer in 10 Go to seconds. the website. Everything's on the website. <laughs> Go to the website. There's many tabs. They're very self-explanatory. We'd love to hear from everyone and anyone. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for joining us. We really appreciate it. 
And thank you to our listeners. Have a wonderful, safe weekend. Please join us next week for more of Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with a silver lining. Have a great week and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. 